Hi, I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to the Brand is Female podcast, where we profile women leaders every week to empower and inspire. Today, my guest is Allison Gordon, founder and former CEO of 48 North. Before we get to our conversation, I want to thank our sponsors. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women entrepreneurs achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. Alison Gordon, who I had the chance to interview on this spot in our first season, was known as one of the only women CEOs leading a publicly traded cannabis company until she left her position to the surprise of many last March with the announcement of her departure made through a company press release. Alison and I chatted about the still very prevalent glass ceiling her achievements and the headway she was able to make in a male-dominated industry. And we also discussed the changes that are needed in order for women executives to have true equity when it comes to leadership and power in the corporate world and beyond. Here is my conversation with Alison Gordon. Alison, you are the founder and former CEO of 48 North, a cannabis company based in Toronto. We actually spoke for a podcast in the first season of the show. So this was a while ago already. So nice to have you back. And since our last conversation, you have obviously left your position at 48 North. And before we get into kind of uh, recent events and talk about this uh, important transition in your life, I want to go back and have you tell us about your journey taking you to be at the top job at 48 North. So what led you to that position. For sure. And thank you so much for having me. I I just think what you're doing is amazing. And I love being able to share with your listeners my experience for sure, because I think it is unique um, when we see so few females at the top of these public companies. So my background's very different than probably a lot of other CEOs. I really started as an academic and I went to work in advertising when I was uh, quite young as a strategic planner. So I guess I've always had that kind of strategic mind. And I came into the cannabis industry. Well, I mean, I'm a long time recreational user. So since I was, you know, in high school, university, I've been using uh, weed recreationally. And it's something that I never stopped doing. I always found it was helpful to me for me to relax, to be productive, to have fun. I was never someone who would use uh, cannabis during the day and not that, you know, functional in that case, but it was definitely more my recreational choice. So I you know, had been in and around, I guess, the industry in that way. But really, it was in 2008, when I had a close family member diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer, and her doctor recommended she try medical cannabis here in Canada, that I my eyes were open, because I actually had no idea that we had a medical cannabis program back in 2008. And that was really exciting to me. And I started thinking about all these ideas I had to brand and products and stores. I was quite naive back then. Um, at that time, 
I had co-founded an organization back in 2001 called Rethink Breast Cancer with my partner, MJ, and we had built this organization to engage young people in the cause, uh, working with fashion and art and film to do things in a very different way. And very early on in that journey, we had been like a lot of young women with breast cancer had reached out to us to say there's nothing for them out there for support because they felt very alone in these support groups that had mostly women in their 60s and their experience was very different and we had evolved rethink to be both an awareness advocacy and support program so we I had been working with government um, in terms of government relations, physician relations, patient relations for many years by the time that the government in 2012 in Canada announced that they would be changing the medical cannabis program. And because I had been watching the industry since 2008, I decided in 2013 that as much as I loved the work that we were doing at Rethink, we had built this into a national organization. I had been blessed to be on the cover of you know, marketing magazine a few times and top 10 marketer of the year with MJ because we really were thinking differently about the cause and how we were going to educate and engage people. Um, so when it came time to think about joining this industry, I knew the organization would be fine without me. So I moved on to the board and I started out as the chief marketing officer for a company that had an inspection date, they were going to get their license any day, and or so we thought. And so I felt ready to take that risk and to make that career move. What wound up happening at that time was the government wound up delaying licensing for almost everybody. So you had sort of, I think it was 12, you know, Tweed and um, a few of the others that became much bigger because of that first mover advantage that they had. But the company that I worked with was delayed for about a year and a half. And during that time, I worked with one of the partners. We raised additional capital. So this is like in a really important part of my journey. And I think for your listeners as well to understand that I had not while I raised money for Rethink Breast Cancer every year, it's quite different to raise money for a not-for-profit. You're you know, raising money for young women with breast cancer. I had no background in the financial markets. And if I hadn't had that opportunity back in early 2014 to be in those meetings and start to learn this language that many women are not aware of, I don't think it would have ever been possible for me to have been the CEO. So, you know, taking a risk early in my career really helped me because there weren't a lot of people, no women for sure back then, but there also just weren't a lot of people in the industry. So you could be in meetings that were sort of above your pay grade, let's say, because of the fact that it was all hands on deck for everything you were doing. So, um, while I was working with that company and they got delayed in licensing, as I said, we raised more money and that was the first time that I was part of something like that. And then we wound up buying assets in the U.S. So we bought one of four legally permitted dispensaries in Los Angeles in West Hollywood because they were the only municipality to issue licenses at that time. We got licenses for Las Vegas. So my experience was quite different than many of my colleagues in Canada who were building these massive cultivations and raising massive amounts of capital 
capital, I was running back and forth to California and really seeing the emergence of a consumer packaged good industry because when we first bought the dispensary, most of the extracted products, so the edibles and vapes and all those things were being made by the people who worked at the store, the bud tenders, and they made up about 30% of the sales. And I felt, you know, at that time I was like, okay, good. My idea of creating a brand and packaging, nobody's doing it yet. And, you know, within a couple of months, I would show up down at the dispensary in LA and there would be a new brand launched all the time. And I was like, oh my God, it's all happening. So you had Kiva's and Venice Beach Cookie Company and people coming in with packaging and branding and really starting to, um, build it out like a consumer packaged good industry. And we're talking 2014, 15, 16. So this was very early days. California was not legal or recreational. It, you weren't even allowed to be a for-profit in California. So you had like all these crazy structures to be able to even be, you know, a, a public entity, not a, a public company, but, you know, a, a private company I'm saying that isn't, that is for-profit. So that was really instrumental to my vision of the industry as being a lot focused on the next generation of products because the sales went up significantly very quickly to 50%. And also just understanding what the consumer was going to start looking for by way of brand and products. And ultimately, I wound up coming back to Canada when the company I was working with decided to sell their U.S. assets as they, you know, Trudeau was coming into government and they needed the money to finish what they were doing in Canada because they were going to likely get licensed soon. And I was like, nah, I'm not really interested in coming back and working in this medical cultivation market. So I wound up, what I wound up doing was doing what I call deal work. So essentially that was, I had met some great companies down in California and if they had a good product, a good brand, and you could have a business conversation with them, I was like holding on for dear life. And they really couldn't raise money down there at this time because the epicenter of cannabis industry and money was really flowing through Canada because we were federally legal. So um, or we, you know, with our medical program and ultimately to become recreational. So I started to raise money for some of these companies and take equity in these companies. And again, that's something that I didn't even really know existed. I guess if I thought about it, I would understand there's a business there, but it's so heavily male dominated in that sort of deal work. And, and I learned a ton. I learned about how you, you know, what you invested, why you invest, what investors are looking for, how you can structure money, all these kinds of things that I think are really critical for women to learn or, or anyone who's not sort of been historically at the top of this food chain to you know, know how that works. So I did that for a while, but for me, I'm a builder of things. I'm a marketer at heart and it wasn't as fulfilling and it's difficult. I mean, nine out of 10 deals don't go through. And for me, I would be very emotional, like, but I thought we were friends and why is this not working? And I realized, okay, you know what? Like I am a builder of things. And what wound up happening was I got a call from someone that we had done some consulting for, my partner and I, um, looking to invest in the space. And they had put money into a company called Delshen, which at the time was a facility in Northern Ontario, unlicensed, um, that was running out of money without, you know, really, uh, 
strategy and they asked me if I would come get involved as a consultant and I said sure and once I got in the door I just thought like my god these people have built the facility they don't have the license and I don't know that you know they have the wherewithal to figure all this out on their own and this is all I ever wanted was the ability to build a company and a brand in the cannabis space that was different um, than what everybody was doing. And so I just jumped in and started helping everywhere I could help to get the license, uh, the initial cultivation license. And within a couple months, the board asked me to step in as interim CEO. And then about six months later, I was, or maybe less, the full-time CEO and all the sort of founders and they were founders and management were gone. And I was able to start to build my team and build what I was now calling 48 North. And really to me at that time, I was looking and saying, who's talking to women? Nobody's talking to women. I mean, we evolved from that place, but early on, especially in this industry, you needed to find a way to differentiate yourself, even just from the level of raising money or, you know, at that point, it wasn't heavily a consumer oriented business because we hadn't become recreational yet. And we were still as a company getting our sales license and we were actually selling wholesale. So we were building the brand through different mechanisms, which is what I had always thought about since 2013 was, okay, Health Canada really closely monitors you and keeps your your hands tied in terms of the advertising and marketing you could do with your cannabis products. But, you know, I had always had the idea that we would launch lifestyle brands like our fate um, accessories and the Latitude online platform. And those obviously give you a lot more freedom to be able to show the world what you would look like if you could have your real packaging or, you know, the things that you would want to do and also just start to build that understanding. So really, we were able to grab a lot of um, eyeballs because I think women were excited that there was a woman CEO. We were a public company at this point. I took the company public. I had raised about 70 million for the company. We had acquired other companies. We had done a lot. And I, I think we were like being rewarded because we won brand of the year, for example, before we had a product in market. So I do think a lot of it was about not just women. I do think there was this authenticity about 48 North. And when I spoke, I spoke about my cannabis use and I spoke about my, you know, experiences, which weren't corporate experiences. And I do think that resonated with the cannabis community and they threw mm. their weight behind us, which was great. So that's, right. that's really in a nutshell, how <laughs> I came to be. How you got there. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you pointed out, um, you know, the cannabis industry has been, it's been criticized. It's been, uh, well, it's just, there's been a conversation about how um, it is male dominated. Um, and I think early on, there was a lot of talk about how the new target was going to be women consumers. And for, for that, and I remember you and I spoke about that in the first podcast interview we did. And we spoke about how it's important that the industry recognize recognizes the need to have women in executive roles, in uh, in critical roles and, and have women who are able to lead strategy to be able to 
respond to that growing consumer segment. The question I would have is, what was that reality like? Because we both know being a woman executive, being um, a decision maker for a company has its set of, of challenges and they're not always external. So we know the industry is male dominated. What was it like, you know, running the business every day as a woman CEO? Well, yes, it's a really great question because they're not just in cannabis. Obviously, if you look statistically across the board of public companies run by women, it's extremely small. If you go to the Fortune 500, it's, you know, even smaller. And so it is it is challenging in many ways. Sometimes it's an overt sexism. Oftentimes it's people who would never see, think that they have any sexism and that they think women are great and women should run companies. But I do think that there is a set of skills that are valued in business and women have those skills, but often women bring these other skills that are considered soft skills. Like they just aren't weighted as heavily, whether it's from your board, because boards, I think women in make up 11% of board seats across the board, not just in cannabis. It's probably even less in cannabis. I remember once there was an article like 4%. Mm -hmm. But it, yeah. again, you know, the top position is the CEO, but of course you report to the board and the board can hire or fire you. So, so what are the skills that they're valuing? And I do believe that the soft skills that, or what they, and even just the term soft skills is insulting. <laughs> But those skills of yeah, I totally agree. Right. With you. <laughs> so, since when is something like compassion or or patience a soft skill? You know, I know it's it's really crazy. And I mean, I think one of the things I'm most proud of is the team that I was able to build. And truly, through the, all those years on my team, like in the Toronto office, nobody ever quit. Like, mm -hmm. and because there was an amazing culture, and. That's something you that, that sense I of engagement with your employees. Well, I mean, again, if it was a man at the top, I don't think anyone would have a hard time saying you deserve the credit for your amazing team. I think women have a harder time often taking that credit. Uh, I've often said, and I will say it again today, that I got to stand in front of the hard work of what my team was doing and take credit for their work. I don't think you hear a lot of male CEOs speak about the team like that, but there is consequences for the language that I use and women use because maybe the people who are judging you or judging is a harsh word, but evaluating your job like your board or the public markets aren't understanding that this team and the culture is because you're inspiring something in people. Otherwise, people would leave. I mean, once you've had a job in cannabis, it's not hard to find another because you don't have very many people with cannabis experience. So the fact that the team stayed together through all the challenges that were there was a function of the culture that is created. And mm -hmm. I I'm even having a hard time in this conversation taking credit for that right now, which is, right. you know, I think one of the challenges. So it is challenging to be in a place where a lot of what you've built and what you're really, really strong at is considered soft skills. Now, look, I raised 70 million for the company. Again, not alone. I have a team. There's lots of strategy that goes into it. But you know what? A lot of that money was, I did a lot of those meetings on my own to bring in the money. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't know that that 
gets attributed to me in the same way. I, I, I don't know. I don't, you know, I'm not privy to the conversations that, that happen um, around me, but I would say in general, it's just when I look at the world, forget about 48 North. What I'm saying is the things that women often bring that can make a company special, like the team and the culture, like just a instinct for the consumer um, relationships. I mean, I was building so many relationships throughout the US and Canada over these years. I lived on a plane and these relationships bring so much value, whether it's like Avitas, who we were then able to license and launch their vape uh, 48 North did a couple weeks ago. We were able to do that so early into the cannabis 2.0 in Canada because of the relationship that I was had been able to build with Avitas and to be able to have their trust to get the license. And with that license comes the formulation and, you know, the blueprint as to how to make it. And when you're a small new company, those relationships are key. I mean, you're trying to figure out how to grow inside, outside, extract, vape, topicals, pre-rolls, all these things, the more relationships that you bring to the table. But again, I don't know how those are viewed at the board level across the board, whether it's 48 North or any other board. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about, I think, and I think you're, you're putting the finger on something that is very challenging for any women executive. Um, it's, and, and, and you know, w women in those positions often talk about how um, they have to work twice as hard, if not more, as a men in the same position, right? There's uh, the, the, the pressure to deliver the pressure to reach a certain level of what's considered productivity, the pressure to achieve certain milestones is even greater than if it was a man in that in that position. How how is it possible to change that? How can <laughs> we and, and that's a loaded question and there's <laughs> I don't think there's a, a perfect answer, but what do you think needs to change for that reality to no longer be? Well, I truly believe that we need to see representation like gender, um, as well as other forms of ethnicity, like diversity across the board at the, at the board level. It just has to be. Those are the people who are making the decisions about who will be in the top position and setting business strategy and all of those things. So if you have a situation where even with 48 North, I mean, I was a board member, I am a board member, but I was a board member as the CEO. So I'm not an independent at that point. I wasn't an independent at this point. I am, but it, it, there was one other woman and Darsh on the board and the rest were men and they're great and there's a lot of value to it. I'm not saying the boards need to be all women. I'm just saying that it we were perceived as a female run company and I even perceived us as a female run company, but ultimately it's not my company. It was, and as soon as you're a public company, it's really not your company. So I think for things to change, really it does have to start at the board level. The other challenge I think in changing things is, you know, capitalism truly is ruling the world and banking is historically been a male dominated industry and it still is. So that's, you know, who controls the purse strings as well. I think we need to see like change to the board, like compositions, and we need to see more women going into banking and finance, but it's, it's difficult. It really is because 
a lot of what banking is, is relationships again. So it's relationships over time that you've built with the people who have money, who are willing to trust you to invest in the, the deals that you're bringing to them. And again, this historically has been this very male dominated space where, you know, there's the golf games and there's all of these things. So I don't want to sound hopeless, like there isn't change, but I think the only way it will change is people have to vote with their wallets. Like if, we continue to reward companies that aren't showing diversity, then how, why, why would anybody change? They won't. So there has to be, people need to be as, I think, conscientious of these issues when they're buying products as they are of other ethically, you know, ethically sourced coffee beans or whatever the things that you're looking for that have value to you. If you're somebody who think believes that this needs to change, we need to see more ethnic and gender and all sorts of other diversity at the, in corporate, you know, Canada, corporate America, then, you know, vote with your wallet, I, I would say. And, and I think it's doing the proper research because I think you're right in, you know, voting with our wallet is important, but we also know for some companies and, you know, it was International Women's Day not that long ago. In fact, just before the COVID isolation, you know, was announced, I was coming back from a, an International Women's Day event in Toronto. And um, it always, I find it very ironic that there is a large number of companies touting their female employees and whatever they're doing, you know, to promote women just on that one day. And then the rest of the year, we know there's not that much happening. Or if we look more closely at the board composition or how many women really have a key executive role, you know, on the leadership team, then we start to realize that it's a very, you know, it's 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 a coat of varnish, but it, it you know, it, it doesn't go deep down where we're in. Yeah, I can. I. I completely agree. Like, I think marketing historically, you and I have discussed this before, it's been a territory that women often have leadership roles in, which I think is super important because I think marketing is everything. But at the same time, when we talk about really making business decisions and strategic decisions, it's not always fall falling into marketing's camp. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. Confidently building your business takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaboration-based approach. They work with both internal and external partners that can provide education, financing, mentoring, and community support. TD employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect you through workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. And I think there's something to be said about uh, accountability and responsibility when you are a woman executive in any organization. It's about making sure that, as you said, diversity is, you know, an, is a fact, not just a, a term that's being thrown around for, for marketing purposes. And it's speaking up when there are uh, instances where, you know, something's not quite right. Because 
I've also seen, you know, boards where board members are not necessarily um, uh, owning the full extent of, you know, their responsibility, right? So just having, and, and the same goes with uh, executive members. So just because you have a certain number of women around a leadership team or around a board table doesn't mean they're the ones who actually have the power. When women are not being allowed to, you know, call the shots from a strategic standpoint, or if a woman leader is not allowed to speak up or doesn't have the necessary influence, regardless of her title, right? How, how can we deal with that? Oh my God, I wish I had the answers for all that. I mean, there's a lot to unpack in your question. I think, let me start with my own as the CEO, right? So mm-hmm. I, of course, thought a lot about the people that we were hiring. It was not easy, especially in the early days, to cover off diversity because of the cannab- nature of the cannabis industry and the fact that it, it was a cr- risky career move, especially in earlier years, to come into cannabis. So you didn't have like hundreds and hundreds of job applicants, right, for these positions. And right. you were trying to sort of handpick your needs. So I felt both keeping an eye on okay, how can we bring diversity in? But you didn't have a lot of applicants with diversity, gender or or any of it. But Mm -hmm. if it was there, I think there's a level at which, again, you know, the interesting thing is for 48 North and, and me, I think that for the first, I can't even remember how many hires, I never used a recruiter. I I really, if I met somebody through either somebody said you should meet this person, they're really smart, or I met them at a conference and had a great conversation, I just had an instinct about people. And sometimes it was something outside of the realm of what they had done before. I would just say like, yeah, I know you've been doing this the whole time, but like that's giving you this, this, and this skills. And I can tell already that you'd be great like that. And, you know, most of that team lives on at 48 North right now. So... What I'm saying is, again, that is not typical, right, of how we go about recruiting and hiring and and doing those things. And I think that, again, as a woman, it is that type of way that, at least for me, that I can get to know somebody and understand and figure out their role in the company. So the point that I'm making is, if you are a woman in a leadership role, use that that gut feeling that you have to help other people that that seem smart and great, but they may not have the exact skills. Because as I said, women historically mm-hmm. aren't involved in the public markets. But if you're speaking to someone, and that's what it was for me, I, if I met someone and I could see, okay, fine, they have no public market experience, but they're amazing at selling, they're amazing at um relationships well that's a huge part of raising money like i can teach you all the other little pieces but like let's try you out in that job and i think that that's something that women as leaders need to remember because it's easy to look and go well oh well this guy did all of these things and really has this straight path to what i'm looking for and it's like well no think differently about the skills that would help somebody be successful in that job. And that could allow you to open up the realm of possibility of who you bring into it. If you're Mm -hmm. on the other side from what you're asking me, where you're dealing with the politics and those things, I mean, there's so little that I could say. It's so stressful and it's so time consuming. I really believe that you, 
you know, have to value yourself enough to say, I'm not going to do this. And I will go somewhere where my skills are valued because I just, I don't know how you change a culture like that. Right. Like, and you and I have discussed that before. Yeah. And, and I think that's an important point because I get asked the question a lot um, by women, usually in a corporate context, who find the um, the competitive nature of you know the the dynamics within their organization and uh, the the pressure on women executives specifically. They find they find that very difficult. There's also there's a, a phenomenon with you know certain women not supporting other women because um, there's that old scarcity mindset where, you know, if she gets ahead, it means I can't get ahead. And my my response when somebody brings that up is always, well, lead by example, right? If you are in a position where you can help other women within the company, and it's true of other, you know, other, other diversity uh, and any individual that's in a, uh, a minority situation, but certainly for women, it's let's support each other. Let's you know promote when you we, when you are in a in a position where you can promote women within your group, uh, give them the opportunities to rise within the company. But you bring up a good point. At some point too, we can't be martyrs. If you know when it gets to that point where the values of the company don't match your own anymore, it's okay to walk away. Yeah, because I I think that when you give your heart and soul to a company, which again, especially as a public company, if it's a public company, you don't really own it, even if you started it. And there is this tendency that I've seen out there in the world, especially in cannabis, to sort of suck everything out of certain people, whether they're the Mm -hmm. CEO or other especially people from, you know, that maybe came from the black market or from the gray market where it's like, great. So you have that authenticity and you are creative and you're thinking differently. And that's been able to like put us on the map and do all these things. And now just like, we really don't have values or we don't haven't created the infrastructure to support you in the fact that you're not a traditional um, CEO. So mm-hmm. now you go or whether it's a CEO or, or any other position. And, and I think that that's something if you yourself are somewhere where you can see the culture is not supporting you, but you know that you have value. That's my point. Don't stay somewhere to allow yourself to be used for the fact that you can bring relationships and that you're creative or any of these things. Like yeah. If it's not yours, it's it's really then it's a job. And so mm-hmm. where do you want to spend your time? And maybe you do want to do your own thing and maybe you do want it to be yours. I mean, I think that mm-hmm. is the hope for this industry as things change is that women can start, you know, smaller businesses within the cannabis realm because to date right. getting the license means being vertical and that's millions and millions and millions of dollars. Never mind women. Most people don't have access to start a company like that. So I think the hope for cannabis is that small businesses can start in a small way and grow in an organic way to become whoever they become. Mm -hmm. And I was going to ask you that question. So what does this transition mean for you? What are you... (laughs) And, and I know you're in the midst of it, so there's a, a lot that you're considering right now, but what are what are the next steps for you? How do you envision the next few years of your career within the cannabis industry? That is a great question. I mean, the timing with 
COVID is obviously, I don't know, some form of something that the world is telling all of us, but particularly for me, I have lived my life on a plane for the last really five to six years. And I have kids who are, you know, teenagers and they've been doing their own thing for these years as I'm traveling. And it's really just been 24 seven. So what I'm really enjoying right now is being home. I haven't been home 10 days in a row forever. But mm -hmm. also these conversations that I'm having, because so many people like yourself, like I've reached out to or have reached out to me, and they want to have these conversations. So the energy I'm feeling is really that there's something in this, what you're doing, and what I've done in a different way, and how do we move this conversation forward, that it's not just a conversation, but there's action. And part of what I've been doing is working with the women, incredible women that I've met from across Canada and the US over the past six years, who I haven't been able to really mentor, who are like, okay, you have some more time. Will you look at my deck? I want to talk to you about my business plan. And mm -hmm. it feels really good to be able to take what I know and give that to these women. And so the rest will figure itself out. I think cannabis is a huge opportunity, maybe even bigger now than it was, just because you're going to see such shakeup. You'll see so many companies go out of business. You'll, but yet at the same time, I believe the government, both in Canada and the US, by declaring cannabis essential services will loosen regulation. So you're gonna have the ability to get into it now while there isn't as much, you know, there's competition because people will go out of business, but you'll get into it at a time where you don't have to spend money on things that didn't want the government didn't wind up requiring you to have at this point in time. And and we've seen that mm -hmm. over the years. I remember in the early days, you had to build like a crazy vault. And those vaults would cost like half a million to a million dollars. And then suddenly, I can't remember a year or two and the government was like, okay, you no longer need that vault, you just need secure storage. And everyone who spent the million <laughs> on the vault was like, what? So there's always been this thing in our industry where people moved really fast and they wanted to be first, 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 first. But Mm -hmm. it's often meant spending a lot of money on things that were unnecessary, either because the regulations changed or the consumers changed or something changed. So mm -hmm. the opportunity is, is I think never been greater in cannabis, but I'm just kind of like enjoying it being a little bit quieter. <laughs> so COVID is giving you a much needed pause to allow you to take all the time you need to really think about what the next steps are going to be for you and what makes sense. Yeah, but I definitely, no matter what, want to continue to figure out how people like you and me can actually affect change. Because I feel mm -hmm. like with the Me Too movement and there is so much talk about like what you and I are talking about, it just has mm -hmm. to translate into action. And I don't know how or why right now, but I really, want to figure that out because it just can't keep going on like this. It just can't. Right. I mean, I guess it if, can. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. Yes. And I think there's enough voices speaking up to say that, you know, there's something systematically wrong here that we have to address it. And the Me Too movement is very much was very much a, uh, a sign of that. Um, if you and, and this might be this might sound like a trick question, but if someone was coming to you with a job offer to become CEO of a publicly traded <laughs> cannabis company again, 
would you <gasps> would you take that job? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I mean, again, it goes back to the whole conversation you and I just had. Like, I've learned so much. So, mm-hmm. who's on the board? What is the culture? It's. I, I think. For me, when I look back at my career in general, there is a common thread and it is, I don't want to say trailblazing because that's way too much a pat on my own back and that's not what I mean, but it is bringing people that aren't typically in a realm like with young women in breast cancer or women in Mm -hmm. cannabis. It's like always, I'm always looking at just instinctively things that don't exist that I would want, I think is really what it is. And so it would really depend because I have no interest in running a say me too, not the hashtag me too, more just, you know, a company right, that's yeah. same, same, same as everybody else. If there was an opportunity again to do it differently, then mm-hmm. of course I would look at it because I love weed. I love the industry. I love the potential that this plant has to change the world. None of that's gone away. It's just what is the right way to do that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's that's the other part. You know, we had this like whole the movement of it's a female plant and it's a female conversation. And 48 North talked about that, but lots talked of companies talked about that. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, let's bring that hope back that women can be a big part of this industry. Right. Right. And it sounds like you are, you know, that you have a voice and a leadership role um, beyond whatever your title is in the industry. And I know for a lot of women who leave a, uh, you know, a high ranked uh, position, and especially when they've been attached to a brand for so long, it can be difficult to make that transition, right? It's like how, you know, who am I after I leave this company that I've been known for, for, for a big chunk of my career. Um, it sounds like it's clear for you that, you know, you've got an identity within the industry, regardless of what, what business name is on your business card, basically. I guess we'll see. The only time we'll tell the answer to that, but yeah, I, I, I hope I, what's in my heart and my passion and my creativity and strategy and relationships and all those things, I think they, they come with me where I go. But, Mm -hmm. you know, again, I think the industry itself is changing, right? So as I said, I believe there's opportunities to do things on different scales and bring my skills to those to those things. But I hear you. Yeah, for sure. It's hard when you're so t- it's hard for the company when you're so tied to the company. Like, how do they right. pivot and change? I think both sides of that can be hard. But what was amazing to me when the press release came out about me no longer being with 48 North, the amount of direct messages from complete strangers, like who I guess follow me, just that the way they felt and their own, like, thanks to like saying thank you for inspiring me and their heartbreak mm. like that was really both touching and sad I felt like oh god have I let the people down but I I think these women that are out there and you see them yourself with what you're doing like they're like ravenous for 
something that inspires them and yes. yeah. brands and companies that they can get behind. I don't yeah. think they're going to yeah. not smoke weed because there isn't a company like that, but I think yeah. they'd much prefer to be with the company that they can get behind. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, and that's the reason I created the podcast is that even for myself, I could, I didn't have that many role models, you know, who were women kind of, you know, in a, in a leadership position, no, no matter if it was their own company or in a, in a corporate context, but yeah, um, it's, there were not that many women voices being heard. And I think that's slowly changing, but we still have a long way to go. And again, it's for me, it goes back to that idea that we have to speak up about our experiences, good and bad, and the challenges that you and I are familiar with as, you know, executives in, in publicly traded companies, we have to talk about the reality of what happens. And when when we are in those roles, when, you know, we have to speak up for other women, for minorities to promote diversity, as you said, I think that's the only way we're going to see something change. And the same goes for women who are board members. Um, I agree. I, I'd like to see more support. I'd like to see more of their voices being heard and a little less fear, you know, when it comes to politics or, you know, who am I going, whose, whose feathers am I going to ruffle if I speak about this reality? It's, it's taking that risk. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at boards, and that's something that I think we all need to do, as I said, when you're looking at companies you want to support, and often what you might find is that you see people are on the boards, different boards, same people on different boards together, is my point. Mm -hmm. And yes. I and I and so there is it's the same thing like we, we've talked about you know, with many other ways, a boys club or a certain club. And, and how do we change that? Because really, the boards should be made up of, and you know, many companies, I, I think do have this, and I'm not speaking about any particular company, nor am I even talking about the cannabis industry necessarily. But many boards have people on them that you just can look at and say, what experience? Why is this person on this board? What makes them um, experienced enough to be overseeing and having the fiduciary responsibility of this company. And when you dig deep, you see that there are lots of relationships there. And mm -hmm. I think that that obviously is problematic because again, if you have only 11% of board seats are held by women, then mm -hmm. obviously, you know, it should never be a club, but if it is going to be a club, the women aren't able to get even bring their own friends in because they're one on a board or two on a board, maybe. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that that's problematic on so many levels, not just from gender, like in terms of look at what we're dealing with now with this COVID crisis and sort of this come to Jesus moment and what is going on in the world of business. I think there's, this is a problem. Like you don't necessarily mm -hmm. have the smartest, best, people who get to make these decisions you often just have the people with relationships with each other yeah and yeah. you know i think that that's i i hope that while we all are slowing down right now people have mm -hmm. the time listen to this podcast think about it look at the companies that of the products that they buy and mm -hmm. start to sort of say like where do i want to put my support behind 
Well, and there's something to be said about, you know, small businesses, entrepreneurs. There's a reason it's very sexy nowadays, you know, to start your own company, to be an entrepreneur. So there's a wave. I, I think it's a blessing and a curse at the same time, but there's definitely a wave of amazing people starting great uh, you know, great businesses with with really good ideas. That gives us the opportunity as consumers. It gives us options, basically. Um, and I think what COVID is doing is, you know, it's making consumers think about how they want to spend their dollars, where they want their dollars to go, and what kind of economy they want to support in the future. Yeah, I mean, I would hope, I would hope that I agree with you, but I think both sides of it, we want to see the culture shift in larger, you know, corporate world, because that's really important for so many things, because the values that that whoever's at the top brings to their, you know, your ecological footprint or the diversity of the whole company, all of these things start at the top. So I think hopefully it's a bit of both. But you're right, if people turn away from large companies because of those things, then they'll have to change too. But if they support companies that show this diversity at the board level, at the executive level, then I think that that's an incentive for people, I hope. Yeah, and I think it's it's about voting for change and it's asking for a higher degree of accountability and responsibility. So if, you know, if I... And I think sustainability and, uh, you know, the, the, the global climate crisis that we're mm-hmm. all aware of. And, and I love that it's becoming, you know, a, a topic that's discussed in a, during a pandemic like COVID, because I love people that are questioning how is it that we were able to rally globally to try and stop the spread of this pandemic, but we can't even yeah, do that exactly. for, you know, the, the, the climate crisis. So yeah. I think for consumers, now's the chance to apply more pressure to larger companies, larger organizations, and make them accountable and insist that they make the the right changes. Well, it's definitely a moment where people are going to be watching what they spend in different ways, like meaning it'll start with, you know, people are obviously worried about the economy as they should be. And so they're not going to be spending the way they were. So Mm -hmm. every dollar is going to be thought through. And I hope that what we're saying is true, that people think about where they they place that dollar because we're going to come out the other side of this. And hopefully there's change and meaningful change in lots of different ways. It's not just like, okay, COVID's over. Now it's back to the same rat race insanity that was going on. And, you know, I think it's important to note and I know you agree with this because we've discussed it. I don't think what you and I are saying at all in this conversation is just hire women and just hire diversity. And it doesn't matter yeah. who's right for the job and who's wrong for the job. No, mm-hmm. not at all. Nor do we say like women, you know, that are on the boards need to just support any woman because they're a woman. I, I think you and I have discussed, we both agree. It's about, you know, finding the right people for any job or any situation. Yes. But I think what I am saying is, I do think people have to check themselves and say, what, like, why, you know, do I not think this person is a leader? Is it mm-hmm. because I have an image of what it is to be a CEO in my head? Or is it, you know, that I don't think marketing skills or what we call soft skills are really the, the most important skills? It must be, you know, something else. Um, so I think those, I hope, are the conversations people can have because we're going to have to give women 
a little bit of leeway to learn because this isn't a territory they've typically been in. So if you're going to look and say, is she the most experienced at running public companies? Well, then you'll never have a woman running a public company because yeah. there just aren't that many of them. Like, That's you know, it. I didn't have any friends that ran public companies. So I didn't even know, you know, you go with your friend, your friend's a doctor, you hear about their work or their lawyer, you hear about their work or, you know, I never had anybody running a public company, so I didn't even know a lot of this. I know it's, it's I a small, it's a small circle. So <laughs> it's a small circle, and so yes, I do. I guess what I'm saying is there does have to be a bit of leeway as we try and bring diversity into the board and executive levels. Yes, um, not at the detriment to the company ever. But how do you guide? How do you give? Uh, you know, proper feedback and support, like, and that's the other thing we could, you know, go on for hours, but like, mm -hmm. is, are the right support mechanisms in place to help women and other minorities, like figure out those skills if you see that they have talent? Yeah, I think there's a, there's there's a definite lack of, of support structure for, for that. I, I would attest to that. What would your advice be for anyone who is finding themselves in a transition in their career? And I think there's an extra challenge right now because of COVID. So what would what would be your top tips for, you know, for, for coping with a situation like that? Well, I mean, I think if you're interested in the cannabis industry, it's there's lots of companies, obviously, that are going out of business. But there are also lots of companies who are growing and mm -hmm. they are declared an essential service. So that would be a different sort of opportunity. Yeah. I, I do think that people are taking this time to clean house, meaning not every layoff is a layoff because of COVID. I think that people are saying, okay, well, maybe these people weren't really working as well as we thought, but it was harder to maybe make those transition so i would say don't think to yourself that now is not a time to be out there how you know obviously you can't go my advice has always been to people pre-covid like have coffee with as many people as you can and i would often take yeah. time out of my schedule to have coffee with like mm -hmm. young women who i didn't know i couldn't do all so of them the, the but... zoom call is the new coffee yeah <laughs> like the zoom call is the new coffee which i know is harder because you know, am I going to agree to a Zoom with a stranger? <laughs> like it's, it's, it's a bit harder, but I would say that there's always room for good people. And yeah. as I said, I do believe that some of these layoffs are not layoffs because that position's been eliminated. I do believe it's because it's an opportunity to clean house. So I would right. continue to move yourself forward as that way. Again, my experience is you know, predominantly over the last six years been in cannabis. And what I've often said is if this is an industry you're interested in, then take any job you can get in the industry because there are so few people with experience in the industry that once you've had a job at a, at a you know, cannabis company, you're highly marketable the next time around. So don't mm -hmm. be as concerned. Will they still be in business? Somebody, many will be in business. If it's not the company you chose, it will be others. This is a huge industry. It exists. It's not It's not yeah. like tech where we didn't know, will people want to order food from their phone? People smoke weed. <laughs> it's just right. about yeah, bringing exactly. them into a legal market, right? Yeah, yeah.
Well, that's great advice. And then I want to ask you one of my favorite questions on a podcast, which I'm pretty sure I asked you the first time around. Okay. But the answer may have changed now. And very topical with what we're talking about. What do you wish women would do more of? I, I would go back to where we began and say, take credit for their work. Take credit for mm-hmm. what they've done, what they do. I think we mm-hmm. all have a really, really hard time with that. I could hear myself today. Just you have to own it. And I think that's the only way because men do own it mo- for the most part. So I wish women would mm-hmm. yeah. own their work. And that's what I'm going to stick with. <laughs> Love that. And that's that's a great response. So thank you so much, Allison, for thank speaking you. to me. Can't wait to see where your next stage of career takes you. I'm very excited for, for you for the future. Thank and you. who knows? We'll have you back on the Brennan's Female to talk about it. Oh, for sure. I'm coming back. We've got a lot to cover on this and hopefully we can start a movement. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alison, for joining me today on The Brand is Female. As always, if you like today's episodes, don't forget to subscribe on the app of your choice, rate and review. Your stars mean a lot to us. Thank you to TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs, further support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening and stay safe.